This is the Wealth Ability Show with Tom Wheelwright. Way more money, way less taxes. Welcome to the Wealth Ability Show, where we're always discovering how to make way more money and pay way less taxes. Hi, this is Tom Wheelwright, your host, founder, and CEO of Wealth Ability. So, big topic right now inflation, interest rates, and real estate. So, if you're a real estate investor, what do you do over the next 12 months? If you're not a real estate investor, should you become a real estate investor or is it too late to become a real estate investor? Just what is going on in the real estate world? Uh, it's certainly, you know, there's a lot of discussion about, oh, we're in this big bubble. It's going to come crashing down. There are other people saying, no, it's just going to keep going up. And, you know, we know probably neither of those is accurate, but what do you do about if you're a real estate investor or you're thinking of investing in real estate or you own a home? You know, what are you, what are you doing when it comes to your real estate? And today I'm very grateful to have a very special guest, Jason Hartman, who's an old, old friend. And uh, Jason, welcome to the show. Tom, it's great to be here. And I hope uh, I can share some new ideas and perspectives on the current state of the market and uh, maybe a little bit of history as well and uh, answer those questions. You know, what should people be doing? <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's, a that's on everybody's mind right now because uh, we, we might be in a point of uh, real transition. We, we'll see. We'll explore right. it together. This, this will be interesting. So I love doing these podcasts because I'm the student. And I get to, to uh, rely on experts like Jason. But if you would, Jason, how'd you get into real estate in the first place? You know, give us just a, a, a you know, 30 seconds about your background, how you got to this space. Sure. Yeah. Just quickly, I grew up in Los Angeles, California. I grew up poor, didn't like being poor very much. Uh, by about the time ninth grade rolled around and, you know, uh, I noticed that all the all the pretty girls were hanging out with the rich guys in school, <laughs> in junior high school. And I thought, I want to be in that crowd, not in the crowd I'm in. And uh, so I saw an infomercial when I was 16 and um, I got the guru's book and I read three chapters, put it down, but my mom picked it up. And she read the rest and got really interested in the topic. And about two years later, you know, she said, Jason, I've been studying this stuff. There's a big seminar in Anaheim by Disneyland. Why don't you go? And so I went and uh, that seminar really just inspired me to get my real estate license, learn the basics. My first year of college, Tom, I got my real estate license. I started selling real estate part time while I was going to college for Century 21. And um, about six months into my career, I actually did pretty well selling real estate as an agent. Uh, but about six months into my career, uh, one of my clients uh, who was an investor, his name was Jim Wool. Uh, he bought several properties from me, HUD and VA repo properties, boarded up properties, really, uh, really ugly properties. And um, he had one that he didn't like very much. And he said he wanted to sell it. And, and so he said, you know, Jason, why don't you list the property for me? I'll buy another one for you after you sell it. And I said, Jim, I don't want to sell it for you. I want to buy it from you. And that was my first rental property at age 20. <laughs> so, that's awesome. That, that's, a, that, that, that's, a, that's a great story. So, um, so here's where we are right now. The way, I mean, the way I think most of us see it, we've had an amazing bull market. Yeah. In real estate for the last really 12 years. Okay. So since basically 2009, yep. 10, you know, came crashing down in eight, nine, 10, started coming back up in 11. It's been this incredible run. And at the same time, we've had incredibly low interest rates. So if you couldn't, if you didn't make money in real estate in the last 10 years, you were just had to be really stupid. I mean, yeah. seriously. I mean, everybody made money. It was kind of like, 
from 2000, right? From 2000, 2007. If you didn't make money during that time, I mean, because it's because you weren't investing, right? Yep. So now we have this shift. We have the Federal Reserve that's raised interest rates uh, several times. They're saying they're going to rate the, the next raise is going to be another half percentage point. So they keep talking about raising interest rates. We know it's slowed down housing starts. Um, we know it slowed, slowed down the mortgage uh, financing and refinancing, yep. which we kind of expected. That was the whole goal of it. And the question, though, is what does it do? Because normally, you know, and I'll have you talk a little bit about cap rates and how real estate is priced, investment real estate is priced, because sure. make sure everybody, you know, gets on the same page with us. But typically what happens is interest rates go up frequently, then prices come down, right? That's yep. actually that the Fed's goal. The Fed's goal is to bring down prices by increasing interest rates. So if that's the case, if you, I have two primary questions for you, um, Jason. The first one is, are prices going to come down? And if they are, by how much? And so if you're in, and, and then second of all, if you're thinking, if you're still wanting to invest in real estate, because we've got horrible inflation, we've got, um, you know, the, you, the, the crypto market, everybody going, well, that's an inflation hedge. Well, that hasn't been an inflation hedge. Okay. Gold hasn't really done anything. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you're thinking about a hard asset and outside of oil, which is you're selling it. So it's, yes, you can invest in it, but you are actually losing it. Whereas real estate, you don't actually lose. You just rent it. Is, is this still the place to put money? I mean, it has been for the last 12 years. Is it going to be for the next two or three years? Well, uh, so far this year, as we've seen rates go up and the stock market go down and uh, the crypto market go down and precious metals sort of do almost nothing, income property is the best performing asset class in the entire world uh, this year you, so far. Okay, no question about it. The thing we've got to remember about income property, Tom, is that it's a multi-dimensional asset class, and we earn our return in a lot of different ways. And you asked about interest rates, and most people, when they think about interest rates, they compare them to themselves. And, you know, I see all these funny posts on Facebook and so forth, you know, uh, someone will say, well, interest rates are too high. And then a whole bunch of people will chime in and say, well, you know, when I bought my first house, the interest rate was 14% or 18% or whatever. So interest rates are actually really low, but that's not, the, none of those are the right ways to think about this. The right way to think about it is by asking yourself, uh, the question I ask all the time on the podcast, on my podcast, and my listeners even dubbed it the Jason Hartman question, and that question is, compared to what? You shouldn't compare interest rates to themselves. You have to compare interest rates to the inflation rate, because that tells us whether or not we're paying a lot or a little. And, and that's the key thing. Life's most important question for really anything, and we'll explore this today as far as money goes, but in every area of life, we simply ask ourselves subconsciously compared to what when we're evaluating anything. Is the food good at this restaurant or is it bad? Well, compared to our experience, that's what we're going to compare it to, right? If someone just got out of the army and they were eating terrible food, any restaurant's going to have great food, right? <laughs> but if they just went to a really fine dining restaurant, you know, then they go to this one, it might be terrible. Right. Uh, you know, in the in the dating and mating market, we we simply choose a mate by saying compared to what? Right. What other experiences did we have? Well, when we compare interest rates 
we shouldn't compare them to themselves. We should compare them to the inflation rate. And so everybody's uh, out there saying rates are too high, but to answer the compared to what question, we have to do math like this. We look at the inflation rate, and right now it's actually about eight and a half percent officially. Right. We all know it's higher <laughs> yeah. than that. Yeah, we know it's higher, and I'll get to that in a moment. <laughs> Arizona, uh, Jason, but, just so you know, we're the best in the country right now. We're at eleven percent officially yeah. in the country. Right. It's so, so the official inflation rate uh, judged by the consumer price index is a total scam. It's manipulated down and the government has a huge incentive for telling us the inflation rate is lower than it really is. They manipulate it in three major ways, weighting, substitution and hedonic indexing. But if you think about it, the logic of the consumer price index is sound because it takes a basket of things and compares them. That is the right way to do it. But of course the index is highly manipulated. So we, we don't need to go down that rabbit hole too much. But if you can borrow today on a 30 year fixed rate mortgage at around five and a half percent, you're literally getting paid 2.5% to borrow money. That's a miracle. But let's look at the real rate of inflation. I say it's about 15%. I think you're about uh, right. It, it, you, you, do you agree, Tom? Yeah, I think you're about right. It, it depends. I mean, uh, yeah. if I look at food inflation over the last two years, I'd yeah. say it's closer to 40%. Um, sure. If you look at gas inflation, it's yeah. uh, uh, close to 100%. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think overall, I think you're about right. I think it's 15% yeah. or, or more. Yeah. So, so, you know, all of these things go into that basket to determine the real inflation rate. And we all have our own personal inflation rate because we all spend differently, right? Uh, a poor person will spend differently than a middle-class person that will spend differently than a wealthy person. And so inflation rates differ for everybody, right? But let's call it 15%. Your listeners are sophisticated. So I think most of them will probably agree with that as we do. So now if you can borrow at 5.5%, you're getting paid 9.5% to borrow the money, but wait, there's more. Interest, of course, you're a tax professional, so you know interest is deductible. deductible. And so, you know, depending on your state and federal combined rate, you know, that kicker might be about a 2.2% bonus. So people are literally getting paid 11.7% to borrow money. It's a miracle. And this assumes that you're not even renting the property out. You're simply making money on the arbitrage between a mortgage rate and the inflation rate. So, so let me ask you this. Okay. But of course, price inflation, which like asset inflation is different from commodity. Absolutely. Inflation. And yes. so if commodity, you know, you're right now I'm hearing commodity inflation, right? When we look at 8%, we look at the CPI, that's commodity inflation. That's not price inflation. And over right. the last couple of years, we've seen huge price inflation largely, I think, because of the low interest rates. So um, when, when you're talking before you rent it out, et cetera, you're really talking about asset inflation, not, not uh, commodity inflation, correct? Well, it depends. Uh, and that's an interesting question you ask, because the way we spend money is in price inflation most of the time, and right. the way we invest money is in asset inflation most of the time. Correct. So you really do have to kind of segment those two. But for the purposes of discussion, we could just say everything is at 15% inflation. And so, then so the example holds true. It, it, the it funny actually, thing too, is that the, the Fed and the, the government 
and the current administration, uh, you know, th this one is terrible. The one before was better, but not certainly not perfect. <laughs> um, and, uh, uh, you know, every administration brags about asset inflation right. and said and tries to deny price inflation. Right. It, it's it's really interesting. Like, why is that? It's just a weird thing. But yeah. Right. So so but let me ask you this question then. So let's let's because I, I, of course, I want your predictions now. So from a from a from an asset inflation standpoint, what because we've seen housing starts come down. OK, recently we've seen them come way down. And we, and that would is what you would expect, right? We've seen more inventory on the market. You were showing me that earlier. So we've got more inventory in the market. So what do you see just from a an asset inflation standpoint for, and let's just take single family homes because I know you're big into single family homes. Um, let's take that asset inflation. What do you see ha happening to housing prices this year? Well, when we look at the supply demand metrics, things are still very, very low in terms of supply. I posted this on social media maybe a month ago, okay? And basically what it says is it says, you know, let's say there's a thousand buyers who can afford a home with the old 3% mortgage, and there's only 800 who can afford it at 4% and only 600 who can afford it at 5%. Obviously, increased mortgage rates reduces affordability and it limits the buyer pool. We all know that, right? Um, but none of this matters when there are only 100 homes for sale. <laughs> it's, there's still so a is, huge is, that, is, is there that much of a demand versus supply issue still in the housing market? Well, I updated this post and here's what I put and you're probably gonna laugh, Tom. 120 homes for sale. Got it. Okay. <laughs> so, and, and, a little and those, bit more. So, so yes. those are the numbers you're finding is that there's actually there there's only um, there's one home for five buyers. Uh, no, these aren't exact numbers. This is meant to illustrate a point. But here are the exact numbers. Okay. So we started off the year with historically low inventory, the lowest inventory ever since they've been tracking this stuff. And I think that comes from like the 60s, but don't quote me on that. It depends who's tracking, you know, and I, I do want to say also that it depends on what survey you look at because they have a different way of calculating this. So NAR, the National Association of Realtors, they always post inventory, but they count it differently. And so their number is higher. They include contingent sales and pending sales, which I don't really agree with the way they do it. But if you're using that survey, then use it consistently and you'll be okay because you know what's going sure, on, right? Sure. This is from Altos and they just look at only the actual for sale homes in the MLS, Got every, every uh, listing in the country. And we started out with 293,000 homes for sale. And then at the end of the first quarter, we actually went down to 241,000 homes. So inventory mm -hmm. declined as rates were actually rising, but then rates rose even more. Now, this put us in a position where the experts will tell us that we should have anywhere between 900,000 and 1.5 million homes for sale. So think of it like this. You walk into the grocery store and 66 to 80% of the shelves are empty. That's the housing market, okay? Now, recently though, it has increased a bit and inventory is increasing. And now we're at about 344,000 homes for sale, and it's still ticking up, and it's gonna get higher. But the message I wanna convey 
as of today is that we have a long, long way to go. We need to see inventory increase by three to 500% to get to what most experts would agree on is normal. We're not even close to normal. So that's what's going to cause prices to continue to rise, even in the face of lower affordability and higher interest rates. Okay, so if you will, um, for those who aren't, you know, that I think that's a really good explanation of what happens with general home prices, because um, home prices generally are supply and demand, right? That's, that's what they are. Um, whereas invest, investment real estate is different, right? Yeah. Because investment real estate is based on income. Would, would you just, just for the sake of making sure everybody's on the same page, walk through how investment properties are priced? Yeah, so investment properties are priced based on the income they produce. In commercial real estate, the common metric is the capitalization rate or cap rate, they call it. And I don't like that metric very much because it excludes two big factors, Tom. One is leverage and another is appreciation. And the reason I think they use that in commercial real estate mostly is because, number one, the properties don't usually appreciate that much because their metric is tied to income on right. a residential so, so you, investment. Right. So you're, you're talking about appreciation coming from demand as opposed to appreciation coming from income. Forced appreciation. Got it. Yeah, 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 definitely. And forced appreciation is a concept more applicable to commercial real estate because you can increase income by, if you have an apartment complex, adding a laundromat, for example, right. or right. something like that. Uh, but here's the thing. The metric we we really want to use is overall return on investment. Okay, uh, at least use cash on cash return because then you're including leverage and appreciation, and that's a more accurate view. But here's the thing: people have to remember is that it's not a game of comparing to what used to be. Yes, that'll bum people out psychologically. Humans say shoulda, coulda, woulda. We all do that to ourselves. We we torture ourselves with, hey, I should have bought all these houses, yep. you know, uh, in 2010 or whatever, right? We all say that stuff. But what, what we really have to do as investors is use the acronym TINA, T-I-N-A. And that acronym TINA is used to describe the alternatives available. And it means there is no alternative, T-I-N-A, the acronym. And so all we do as investors is we go out into the marketplace, if we have capital that is be not being invested or used and we wanna deploy it, we sure. simply look out in the market and we say, what is the best available thing I can do with my capital? And you know, no one at the moment is gonna say stocks, right. cryptocurrencies, or precious metals, or bonds, okay? And even though real estate isn't as good as it used to be, I'll be the first to say that, it's still better than everything else because yeah, it's a multi-dimensional asset class and we earn our return in a lot of different ways. And, and I do think cap rate is important just because like you say, that is how commercial real estate is priced. Yes. And when you look at oh, cap rates, yeah. a lot of cap rates really is what you're talking about because it's what is, what is real estate compared to everything else? So if, because cap rate is just cash, basically cash return on the asset, right? So if I pay cash for it, I don't, I don't leverage it. What's my return on my investment? And so if my cash return on real estate is 5%, but my cash return on a bond is 1%, then real estate is five times better than a bond. 
right? Absolutely. So it's, it's that 500% better. Yeah. And, and that's why there's been so much money going into the real estate market. Because yeah. what we've seen is a flood. Uh, the, 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 the demand is much higher than it's ever been. Um, yeah. We just seen a flood of money coming into the real estate market because like you say, <laughs> there is no alternative. So, so what is the alternative here? So let me ask you the next question because obviously- hey, Tom, before, before you ask that next question, I, I, I just wanna say one more thing that sure. I, I forgot to say earlier. And that is that everything you say is absolutely accurate about uh, how people value investments based on income. Definitely all true. The beauty of single family homes or residential real estate in general though, is that we have two different sets of buyers when we sell it. We have investor buyers and we have homeowner, owner occupant buyers. Okay. No, that's true. And that, that's, that's, why not, the, that's why the market in uh, single family homes is so different yeah. from the commercial market. In a good way. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, if you like financial education the way I do, you're going to love Buck Joffrey's podcast. Buck's a friend of mine. He's a client of mine. He's a former board certified surgeon and he's turned into a real estate professional. So he has this podcast that is geared towards high paid professionals. That's who he's geared towards. So if you're a high paid professional, you're going, look, I'd like to do something different with my money than what I'm doing. I'd like to get financially educated. I'd like to take control of my money and my life and my taxes. I would love to recommend Buck Joffrey's podcast, which is called Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. I hope you join Buck on this adventure of a lifetime. So, but I do want to go back to the investor market because, yep. you know, we're talking about real estate is investment for most sure. people. So what do you see happening with rents? Because rents have just skyrocketed over the last two years. And, you know, so inflation, actually, as long as you don't have rent controls, which I think we're going to start seeing more and more of, frankly, yep. um, as long as you don't have rent controls. So as long as you're staying out of California, New York, New Jersey, et cetera, where the rent controls the are. Socialist countries. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we call it the PRC, the People's Republic of California, right? Yeah. As long as you're staying out of those states and you're in states like Arizona and Texas yeah. and Florida and Georgia, et cetera, then, um, you know, you tend to not have that same rent control type issue. But the reality is, is there's got to be an upper limit on rents anyway, because it's an affordability issue, right? And so right now rents have be, you know, rents, uh, I remember back in 2008, when, when one of the problems was when the housing market came down, Rents also came down because people started moving in with each other and you start to have multi-generational uh, living, you know, living conditions. And uh, so Brent, I actually saw some rents come down by 50% or more in some projects at the same time when there was less housing available, which I thought was a really interesting condition. And so when, when you see that with rents going up and affordability getting lower and lower, um, because we, we don't see wages keeping up with inflation. so. Yeah you know, what's that cap and how do you see those rents going over the next couple of years? So at the beginning of the year, I predicted prices would increase by 12% this year. And I think I'm going to be right, even though I did not expect interest rates to increase this much. I also predicted that rents would increase by 8%. So if someone is renting a house for uh, a house or apartment or whatever for 2000 a month, that means next year, they're going to be paying 2160. Okay, and here's the thing that people make a huge mistake about. They think 
that will be the same person renting the house. Mm. And that is a giant blind spot. Okay, so you mentioned something very astute. You said there has to be a limit because affordability, right? And here, here's, here's the rub on that. Yes, that is true, but inflation is a robber and a thief. It's a pickpocket. True. And what it pickpockets is people's standard of living. So you ask yourself, what gives? Well, what gives is the standard of living. The quality of life that declines that's what goes down it's not that there's really any big limit to how high prices can go the limit is only can the same person continue to afford to occupy the same property i'll give you an example of that about a month and a half ago i went on zillow and i said what can you buy for a million dollars in jacksonville florida that's one of the markets we do business in okay and so for a million dollars you got this beautiful home oh. and it's almost five thousand square feet it's a gorgeous home it looks like it's in great shape it's got marble floors a big a lot big yard etc but if you take that same million dollars and you go to new york city this is what you're going to get yep. you're going to get a 653 square feet little efficiency unit with a compact mini dishwasher and a mini stove like I used to have in my old motorhome. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you know, you just, your money just doesn't spend as well there. Uh, and so that's what happens. It's an illustration of how the standard of living just declines. And if you look at, look, I was born in Europe and Europe is a socialist disaster, most of it. Okay. For sure. And, you know, Europeans don't realize how really bad their standard of living is, yeah. frankly. No, I'm not they saying don't, money is- No, everything. because they have nothing to compare to, you know? It's yeah, like, right. it's exactly. like when, it, it's, it's the reason that, you know, back in the, in the Soviet days, they didn't let people leave. Yeah, because they didn't want them to see to the U.S. They go, wait a minute, this isn't what I was told. <laughs> you know, I was told this this horrible place, and and uh, yeah. you know, people were just degenerate and so forth, yeah. so on and so forth. And here, are these beautiful houses and beautiful yeah. cars, and people are enjoying life and and so forth. So that 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 is a comparison. That reminds me of of a of a, a lesson I learned a couple of years ago. I'd like your comments on it. I was sitting with the the marketing director of Marcus and Millichap, big mm -hmm. yeah. Workers, big commercial real estate right? firm yeah and he said he said something really interesting he said local people value real estate based on the past and people looking from the outside in value it based on the future hmm. Can you comment on that that's that's a good statement um yeah you know um there's a uh, a poem that i share on my show sometimes called the reluctant investors lament and it talks about how this real estate broker and investor who wrote it in 1977 is commiserating about all the deals he's missed out on and that he should have bought, right? Because he thought in 1977, Tom, everything was so overpriced. And look, we always think that. And the saying I've always used is that every real estate deal looks like a great deal in the rear view mirror. Exactly. It, no, there is no time, almost no time, that someone thinks they got the most incredible deal ever when they bought it. But time makes it better because we know for sure 
that the strategy that the government is going to employ and every government, not just the US government, and uh, the strategy every central bank on the planet will employ is to simply inflate away their debt obligations. Mm -hmm. Okay, sure. that sure. is the strategy they're going to use. And so uh, we can complain about it philosophically, it's terrible, I agree completely. But the fact is, like the old saying, if he can't beat him, join him. You got to align your interest with the two most powerful forces the world has ever known governments and central banks. Yep. And that's what we want to do as real estate investors. And we have the well, perfect. So, so let's talk just for a second, if we can. Um, let's talk about something I can't help but talk about it, which is the government side of that, which is the yep. tax side. Sure. And I, I want you to think back to the numbers that you showed. And you, you showed um, if you had 15%. And you had five and a half percent, then you have nine and a half percent return, yeah. right? But I think what we forget is that it's really not the deduction of the interest that matters, it's the non taxability of the income that matters. So right. in real estate, so you really what you really have to compare to, I mean, like my in my new book, the, the Win Win Wealth Strategy, I, I look at real estate specifically and say, yeah. what does a, what does it, an investor get? What's their share of the deal? Because the government gets a share, right? Because right. the government's your partner and you get a share. The government puts in money and then you both take out money. That's the way it works as yep. a general rule. What's interesting with real estate is not only do you not pay tax on the front end, but you don't have to pay tax on the back end. So if you compare, for example, a 10% return in real estate to a 10% return in the stock market, yeah. the stock market, you can't get out without yeah. paying tax. And especially yeah. if you're like in a 401k. So let's say you're at um, a 30% tax rate. I mean, that's yeah. a minimum tax rate you're gonna be at, right? So at a 30% tax rate in the stock market, you're gonna, you're gonna pay, basically you're gonna get 7%. Yeah. But in real estate, you're gonna get the whole 10%. And plus yeah. you might even get more because you might get an offset to other income, right? right. So you, and I actually may, reduce your overall taxes. So I, I think that, that one of the magic, I think there's really a couple of things that are magic with real estate. And one is uh, certainly the tax benefits and, and that you never have to pay tax, right? That was the whole buy, borrow, die that, you know, we had this whole discussion about this the last couple of years. And I talk about it uh, in my books, buy, borrow, die, which is you never really have to pay tax on real estate. You yep. can, you can get, you can eliminate the tax forever. But there's also the idea that, you know, you're, you're remember, you're paying down the mortgage. So right. that's another return on your investment. You're paying down the mortgage. So you get more of the, you get more of that equity. Actually, your tenants are paying down the mortgage, right? So you've got the, you've got the appreciation, you got the depreciation, which is the tax benefit. You've got the amortization of the loan and you've got the income. So I, I do think yeah. real estate is one of those hard assets. One of my, um, one of my favorite personal stories, I was in uh, Africa, uh, Southern Africa in Zimbabwe a number of years ago on an eco safari. And our guide was talking about what happened when uh, the Zimbabwe dollar went to zero. I've got some right here for you, there Tom. You go. I got a hundred so, trillion Zimbabwe dollars. So, he, so he's <laughs> lived there his whole life, right? And so he said, he said, every time he got paid, he went and bought a cow, yep. a sheep, or a pig because he needed to turn it into a hard asset. Yep, quickly. 
And so, you know, something that our, our mutual friend, Robert Kiyosaki always says is that the purpose of business is to buy real estate, right? The purpose of, in, you know, you generate income and then you buy real estate. And I think a lot of what you're talking about is, I think there's a lot of fear right now in the market, but I do remember, I mean, it wasn't that long ago that interest rates were over five and a half percent. And if you're inter, if, if, if you can get, even, even if you're, even if your inflation rates only at 8%, okay. And you can get that two and a half percent spread. Okay, and as long as you're again not in one of those communist areas, frankly, one of those socialists. Sorry, it's not they're not really communists, but um, one of those areas that you know puts rent controls and so forth that government controls the economy so much. But when you can do that, then what happens is is that you, you've constantly got this increase in value in a hard asset, and you're actually protecting against inflation. So I, I really appreciate that. So if you would, if you would just give us, but let, maybe, let me just comment on that for a second, if I may. Yeah, so. Sure tangible things have intrinsic value like yeah. your friend in Zimbabwe and you know I've, I've studied Zimbabwe and all the inflation stories around the world it, intensely I, those stories are really educational and really important to learn from but people in Zimbabwe would literally they'd get paid they'd rush out to convert their money to goods as quickly as possible because the goods had intrinsic value and the fake fiat currency did not have intrinsic value they just kept printing it and so one of my listeners sent me these Zimbabwe uh, dollars and you know here's a 100 trillion dollar yep. Zimbabwe bill right and so it, it has no value at all and you're absolutely right the other thing I wanted to say is that if anybody goes to our website which is just my name jasonhartman.com and you click on the properties page and you look at the performance and the properties you'll see that we even have properties now because rates are up and prices are up and some of them have like 1% cash on cash return. It looks terrible, but the overall return on investment, when you take into account all the things you just mentioned, because it's a multi-dimensional asset class, can be 20 or 25%. That's, that's, people don't know how to do the math, you know? And, and you just alluded to it so brilliantly. And so I just wanted to share that. And when you learn how to do the math of real estate, you realize that it's not this simple thing like most people in these one dimensional assets they think oh well i'm going to buy this stock or i'm going to buy this crypto i'm going to buy precious metals buy low sell high that's the whole strategy if it pays dividends buy low sell high get some dividends in between but income property has so many ways you earn your return and that's why it is the most historically proven asset class in the world and to your point it's the most tax favored asset class in america so. Yeah, it is interesting enough. We actually in uh, uh, the the new book, the Win and Wealth Strategy, we actually looked at we actually looked at fifteen countries. Yeah, and it's and I can't wait to interview you on your new book. By the way, actually a preferred yeah. asset in most countries. Uh, so interesting, business and real estate, top two asset classes. And one thing I love about what you've been saying about real estate is. I'm a, so I'm the youngest of six children. So mm -hmm. I never had control of anything. I didn't get to control what <laughs> on my plate. I didn't get control of my time. I didn't get control of my thoughts. Right. right. So yeah. I, I loved, I love anything I can control is like a bonus for me. And that's one <laughs> thing I like about when you talk about adding value to real estate, real estate is something I can add value to. I can't add value in an oil well. 
Okay, right. that is a price fluctuation and that's what it is. I can't add value in the stock market, but I can add value in real estate. I can add value in business. Yep. And so um, if you would just finish up, um, let's just wrap this up. And if you would just give your top two things that people can and can do and should do over the next six to 12 months when it comes yep. to their investing in the economy. I, you know, one of the things I love about uh, income property as an asset class is that when you buy the property, you haven't finished negotiating the deal. Here's what I mean by that. You buy the property today, and then maybe you do what you said, you add value you know, down the road, or you refinance the property, or you do a 1031 tax deferred exchange so you never have to pay tax, right? And um, you can constantly renegotiate the deal along the way. When you buy a stock or an oil well or cryptocurrency, you don't get to renegotiate the deal. The deal you bought it at is the deal forever until you yep. sell it or liquidate the asset. The income property though, you can constantly redo the deal and keep making it over. Uh, you know, if interest rates go down, you can refinance, right? You can do all of these great things. You can do creative things on the rental strategy, lease options, rent to own deals. Just they're just like an endless number of interesting, unique things you can do. So I would keep buying properties, I'm in escrow to buy a property right now myself, uh, property in Phoenix actually, and I'm closing probably next week or the week after. And um, you know, uh, you always wanna be buying properties and building your portfolio. Just make sure you follow my 10 commandments of successful investing, which is a good kind of outline to make sure you don't make mistakes. And you can find out about that at jasonhartman.com or on my podcast or YouTube channel. Um, and also I've got a great free video that uh, helps people do the math of real estate, Tom. It's how to evaluate an investment property, how to read the performa, how oh, to I look love at it. the numbers. In 30 minutes, boom, people just get it. If they do nothing else, go to jasonhartman.com and just watch that video. It's It'll really help you. I love it. Uh, Jason Hartman, jasonhartman.com. I, I love this whole discussion because we're talking about, again, multidimensional. What can you control? What can you actually do over the next six months, 12 months, two years? Everybody's worried about the economy. Everybody's worried about the political situation. Everybody's worried about, um, you know, inflation. So you have all these things that we can worry about. What is it we can control? We can control our money. We can control our investing. We can, we can to a, a large extent, like you said, in real estate, control our assets. And what I find is when we do that, we always are going to make way more money and pay less tax. You've been listening to The Wealth Ability Show with Tom Wheelwright. Way more money, way less taxes. To learn more, go to WealthAbility.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.